Episode 79, Switching Roles, Navigating the Challenges of Leadership Transitions. Welcome to the story in your head. I'm Ron Macklin, and today Deb and I dive into the topic of switching roles and exploring the dynamics involved in becoming a boss, leading your former peers, and setting the stage for success in your new position. Welcome to the story in your head. Hey, Ron, today let's talk about switching roles. Switching roles? That sounds like an exciting topic. Now, are we going to talk about like if you're switching roles to where you're like moving from one company to another company? Or is it like you got promoted into a new job and now you're not, no longer are you one of the team, you're now the manager of the team? Oh, let's start with getting promoted within the same company. Cool. Let's start there. So some of the breakdowns that, that, that show up when I, cause I've done this a few times and, and some of the breakdowns are, there's a way that, that our peers relate to us as a peer, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. There's, there's a, there's a whole, like we're, we're, we're buddies, we're friends, we, we hang out, we, right. And, and we trust each other to be peers. And then there's this moment when you take a promotion with inside that group where you're now their boss, right? It's a different world for them and it's a different world for you, right? And the, there can be a story that you can make up pretty easily. Like, well, I have to be the boss now. Like I have to act like the boss, right? And that will show up as like, like weird and disingenuous to the people who used to work with. So the, so the question is, what, what actions do you get into? Like, what, How do you go about that, becoming the boss of your friends? Yeah, tell me a little bit more about the disingenuous. Yeah, so we used to like work together. We, we'd share ideas. We'd, we, we, you know, I, I take this part, you take that part. We kind of cover for each other, right? You know, there's a way where you go, I, gotta, I, I need to go to the dentist or I need to go take care of my kids or I need to go do something. And they cover for you, right? And, or, and you cover for them. There's, there's camaraderie to that, right? And, but nobody's telling the other one what to do. Mm -hmm. Nobody else, nobody's managing the other one. Nobody's really leading the other one. And then all of a sudden you're the boss. And when you're the boss, you're now having a conversation with them about what they're going to do. And you're not a part of the, what's going to get done. You're the manager. Mm -hmm. And so imagine you're sitting there and you and I have been working together for three, four years. And all of a sudden now you're the boss and somebody else takes your job. And now I got this new person coming in and the person I used to trust now is my boss. He's going to determine whether I get a raise or not. He's going to determine you are going to determine whether I get promoted, whether I get a a bonus, which at what assignments I'm going to be on. Right. And there's a space where they go like, well, I know Deb, we're buds. We hang, we're cool. It's great. What do you mean? I can't do that. I want to do that fun job over there. Aren't you going to take care of me? And there's a space where all of a sudden, because you're now the boss or whoever is the boss, right? Who takes that mm-hmm. role. It's a different space. So what are, are there boundaries that you set? Like what, what do you do? What do you do? I found it really useful to talk about it, right? To, to, to get the people you used to work with together and go, I, I got this role. I got this promotion. A lot of the reason I got this promotion was because of how we all work together. So somebody from the group went, got the promotion. 
And I just want to check in with you guys. Is anybody like angry that I got this job? Is there anything that, that, that you want to say to me, like to get it out, to really like open up the space to be, for people to be authentic with you, honest. What does it mean that I have this job? Because they used to have a relationship. And when a relationship changes without an understanding of why, it will show up as disingenuous or uh-huh. like you've changed, right? And in some ways we have changed. We have a different role. So after you've actually had a conversation with them and say like, this is what we're doing and really get out in, in the open air, right? And my goal is, and then that's where you got to have your, your goals are. Anytime you take on a new role, you're switching from one role to the other role. What is the criterion standards for being successful in that role? What are the goals of the group now? And if you don't know them, if you don't speak them, they're going to make up something. So when you switch roles, and this is whether you go to a new job, right, or a new company, right, or you, you're now a manager of your own company, that from the moment you get into that role, you have to have your story about what it is the group's going to produce. Mm-hmm. What are the outcomes that you're committing to? And then whose outcomes are they? I mean, there's like, the reason I got this job is they wanted these things done and and tell you what they are. Like, and and so they've tasked me with doing these things. And so now my goal is to lead this team to get these things completed. And then there's a space for like, you say, okay, here's the outcomes that need to be produced. And then there's a space where you say, and this is how we'll do it. This is my stand, right? We'll, We'll be open. We'll be authentic. We'll be real. We'll be vulnerable. We'll talk about problems. We won't hide anything, right? We'll make mistakes. We'll clean them up. Like, what is that stand that you're going to take for the group and speak it into the group so that they understand like you, like you, it's not that you have a different role. It's you have to speak that what your role is. Like you have to bring it into existence for, in language for them. So they do and, and never fade away from it. I mean, you can change it. Like you can say, well, we've decided we're going to do this instead of that. But never stop speaking that role that you have and never stop speaking the what the group is going to produce. And you only have to tell it to the group until you hear it come back from somebody else. Like tens of thousands of times. <laughs> yeah. Well, you, you trigger me to go, yeah, probably. <laughs> like, but there's no number. It's just until it comes back from other people. Like, right. So that, what that means is the gossip is working. Somebody has heard the story. They've told somebody else. They've told somebody else. And now it comes back to you. And now, you know, the story is spread throughout the entire organization. And then, and then when you get to that point, you can go, good. Now I can go back to half as many times a day as I used to. Right. Cause you still have to tell the story and the story is always changing. And the sooner you get to what your story is for the group and what the end looks like and where they all get to contribute the sooner you're going to be able to, they're going to go, this was a good thing that this person got the job. Mm-hmm. We, we didn't have this before. I didn't know what I was supposed to do. I didn't know how it fit in. I didn't know how I contributed to the overall company. And now I do. This is really good. And all the stuff around, well, we used to hang with Ron. We used to be in this space with him. And he was one of us, right? All that will go away when they can see how they contribute to the company. They can see where their role is. They can see what's going to happen as they do well, as you know, and add to it, and makes a difference. So, Ron, as I listen to you, I'm I'm listening to the people around you, and what they 
like what you have to do to produce the vision, but what they have to do. What if you're changing roles and what are you having to let go of? <laughs> I'm thinking, I'm thinking about someone who might have been promoted because they were really, really good at doing something. And all of a sudden they have that team to do that work. And it's about them developing the team, not doing the work. It's and I I've learned to love this. Didn't love it in the beginning, but I've learned to love this, right? And it was a joke when I was younger. Oh, project management or management, right? Project management, all the hassles, all the headaches and no more money. Right. And normally when you get into your first leadership role, right? Right now you're managing the people that used to be your peers. There's really not much more money. I mean, there's a little bit, but you can look at all the stuff more you have to do and care about and the have to stuff you have to give up. It's really not worth it. The money is not the reason why you would go into a management or leadership job. So if you go, wow, why did I do this? It's not about the money. Leading people is different than producing something. You're working with different stories. As an example for me was when I was an engineer, I worked on turbines and I worked on valves and generators and all these things we took apart, put them back together. And it was all about that equipment and how we did all that stuff, right? And the moment you become a project manager or then a manager of a region or a space where you're no longer doing that, the equipment really doesn't come fall into your, your control. Like you're not in there to work with the equipment anymore. You're not working to design like circuit boards, right? You're not designing systems, right? You're not doing all that stuff. You have people that do that and management and getting promoted into a, an upper job, which is you're switching roles from a perform, an individual performer to a manager. It's about leading and enabling people to do things that are amazing. But it also means you give up that passion of working with the equipment or designing a board or a piece of equipment or producing something in that space. It's working with people. And there are people, I've met them, I can think of three of them right now, that they went into like the next level up to, you know, because one of them used to say, you know, because I get this Rolex now, right? He bought it, showed his Rolex. I got this, <laughs> I get this Rolex now. I got to, you know, and, and like 10 years later, they go, I, I just want to go back to the, I want to go back and, and, and the field. I want to go back and do what I love to do. Mm-hmm. I, I don't like this whole politics thing. And I don't like this whole working with people's thing. And working with people that you can always, I, I can always tell when people don't like leading people, they call it politics, right? That's, it's kind of a, like a slang term. Oh, there's too many politics around here versus the ones that go, you know, I just love doing things that other people can't, can't, they can't be done. Then that that's a somebody who loves leading people and being in that space. And how great a team will perform has a lot to do with his leader. And the team is the one who does the performance. Mm-hmm. With a great leader, you will never know the leader's accomplishments. Because the accomplishments are everybody else produced all this stuff and you get all these awards and, and great products and great everything else for the people who did the work. So yeah, if 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 anybody on the is listening to the podcast and going like yeah, I want to. I want to get in management so I can make more money. And so don't do that. Or that you want to keep doing the work that you're doing, just do it with other people underneath you or something. <laughs> yeah, wrong reason. Yeah, yeah, and the real danger is when you have a story that you could do the people who work for you's job better than they could do it. Mm-hmm. And there's an old old story from Cosby long ago where Rudy goes, well, "I'm like, I'm just going to quit school." He goes, "What are you going to do? I'm going to teach second grade." Because she had finished first grade. So just because you can do it doesn't mean you can teach and lead somebody else to do it. And it's a different skill. And it can be very rewarding. 
if you like doing it. But if you like designing and creating or doing maintenance and all the other stuff, not so much. Yeah, I have seen I have seen examples of that of people being promoted into a job where they still wanted to do the fundamental job that they were doing, still wanted to do the design work, and how it looked is that they were too busy to lead because they had the deadlines of the design work that was due, right? They were still working to the deadlines of the people that worked for them. Yeah. I Thank you, Deb. I've also seen where they reach a point where everything that goes out has to come through them, mm. right? It has to come through me so I can check it to make sure you did it right. <laughs> and then if you didn't do it right, I'm going to fix it or I'll give it back to you until you get it right. And then I'll let it out because they, they still want to be doing that job. They want to have their identity on the accomplishment, which is different than being a leader of people, which means the people that are there out in the field or in the office or in wherever you're working, they're the ones that are doing the accomplishing. You're creating a story, a system that enables them to do that. That's a little different when you go to another company because you don't have a lot of the like preconceived notions about you. Mm-hmm. All those stories, all that those exist. stories, right? All those yeah. stories, they, they don't, ex- <laughs> they don't exist. Mm-hmm. And it's a space for you to show up in that role. Like they, they won't look at you and go, well, you used to be this and now you're that. No, they just look at you and go, also, oh, you're going to be the leader, right? Even the, at that point, it becomes even more essential. Is that right? More essential. It just becomes essential. It is essential. It is essential for you to really understand what the vision is of where the group is going. You have, to, you have to create it. You have to listen to your customers, which normally your managers above you, or if you're you're the top guy, what what do you create it to be? And you have to be ready to tell that story over and over and over and over and over. And you, you don't have to worry about them making up a story about like, well, you used to be this or you used to be that. What you really have to focus on is what does the story look like when you as you're setting up this conversation with people mm-hmm. and speaking your stand, personal stand, and speaking part of the stand like for the organization, like what, what the organization will be, won't be, and might be, that brings to them a place where they begin to see you as a visionary. And that, that's what, that's what you're, as you're a leader of that group, you want to be the visionary of the group. This is where we're going to go. Now, even if you have a boss above you who says you want to accomplish these things, it comes out not as, well, Frank wants this, right? It's got to be like, this is who we are. So you're taking all mm. the concerns and turning it into your story for your group. And then you constitute that over and over and over again to where you, again, same, same fundamental until you hear it come back and goes through the gossip chain and comes back around. Now, you know, you've actually said it, but you're beginning to say it enough, right? So now they hold that story. Yeah. How I listen, it becomes your identity. It becomes the identity of the group. Mm-hmm. Once they've heard it enough times, it's like, that's who we are. Are you looking to strengthen your relationships, whether personally or professionally? You want to learn how to build authentic connections faster, or perhaps you're looking to beat employee burnout through the power of connection. My name is Ron Macklin, founder of Macklin Connection. And in our workshops, we teach you the fundamentals of how to do exactly that and more. To learn more of the power of your relationships, visit us at MacklinConnection.com. One of the concerns that those of you who are taking on a new role like this, one of the concerns you're going to bump into 
is people are afraid to take a risk. So the as you go into this new role in that space, when people do take a risk, celebrate. And I don't mean like if they take a risk and it goes well, celebrate it. I mean, if they take a risk, celebrate it. Celebrate the moment you take the risk. Talk about what the two outcomes or three outcomes could be, right? And then when you get done, you go, what'd you learn, right? Because you're really looking to create an environment where everybody can contribute. Everybody can run experiments. And if everybody is for a, a, a term I use a turtle, right? If they're all their mm-hmm. heads and arm and everything are curled back into the little shell waiting for whatever to, to pass by, the group will fail because the world will pass them by. But if everybody's got, you know, their arms out and they're crawling and they're trying new experiments, they're taking on risk, they're doing stuff and they're really contributing to it and inventing stuff. That's what you want. So when you see the moment, when you switch that role and you go into place, when somebody does something, when, how you react to that will set the stage for how everybody sees what you and what the group is going to do. Now, it's, it's true if somebody gets injured, how are you going to react? And remember, when you're new in a role, everybody's really watching. What is he doing? What is she doing? How is that going to work out? And they may never say anything. Right? They may just be sitting there watching. Oh, I didn't see that one coming. Like, like, like Nobody got mad. Nobody yelled. That'll change the shape for people. You know, one of the stories you triggered me to think about was, you know, you mentioned something about if you switch roles into a new company, that there there's fewer stories about you in that new company. But I have also noticed that people may have stories about the previous leader. They have stories about, well, she did it this way. And this is the way, this is what we're expecting. And you may go in and have a different approach, have a different vision. And how do you overcome or how do you work with some of those stories that they have, not about you, mm-hmm. but about the previous way we're going to do things? Step one for me, did that work? I mean, like, and I don't mean like, it's not like, well, did that work? No, right? No, none of that. It's like, did it work? Like, what was the benefit of that? How did it work? If somebody was doing something before a certain way and it worked out really well and produced great results, why would we not stop to keep doing it? Mm-hmm. Why would we stop? We would just keep doing that, right? But it's it's not about what they did before. It's not about what I say we're going to do. It's what works. And the leader has a stand of saying, we'll do whatever works, right? If that didn't work, if what they did before worked before but doesn't work now, we'll change. And always be looking for what works, right, in that space. Watch out for we don't do it that way, right? Or we do it this way. We do it this way, right? No, there's two ways. There's the my way and then the highway, right? And, <laughs> and, and, and you can jump on that highway anytime you want. I've heard those all before, but it's really about what works. And that moves them away from being the last person thing or a your, you thing. It moves it into a what works thing. And it goes, and if it, and if it works now, but it doesn't work in six months, what, what experiments are we going to run? What new things we're going to create in a space to be ready for that? Because what we're looking to do is produce a group that can like lead itself. So everybody gets to contribute. Everybody gets to be a follower. Everybody gets to be a leader. Everybody gets to contribute. And then we get the best creativity, the most loyalty. And that's what makes the group work. Yeah. The, the word that keeps coming to my mind when you're talking about this is humility. And, and I don't know if that's something we usually think about, I want to say the the model leader that we might think about. <laughs> I don't know if humility is is one of the ways that we would describe them, but but you're helping me notice, the first of all, the profound humility of 
Like it's your team's accomplishment now. It is. It, and people go like, oh, you're just saying that. No, it really is the team's accomplishment. If it's not the team's accomplishment and it's mine, we're limited by whatever I can come up with. Mm-hmm. And that's not my stand. I will never limit my life by what I can create. Well, and there's the there's also the people want to contribute. They want to feel valued. And if they feel like someone is taking credit for their contribution, like they it doesn't matter what they do, they're not going to stay around. They'll find somebody they'll find another place to contribute. Mhm. Mhm. And it doesn't matter doesn't matter whether they find a place that's better than ours or not. They're no longer on our team. We no longer get the advantage of their what they're creating. And that's why it's their accomplishment, because it is their accomplishment. You made me think, I don't know how many thousands, tens of thousands of resumes I've looked at in my career. And, you know, there's all kinds of things you could read out there. Well, look for certain words. Like, you don't want to see the words, I led this, or I meant, like, it doesn't tell you what they did specifically right? To produce that accomplishment. And how I'm noticing it differently is if if you're a great leader, your team produces that accomplishment. You produce a vision for your team to produce that accomplishment, but that may not fill your resume, right? With the, with the way that uh, people are typically looking at resumes. And, and again, there's a humility in that. Not yet, Deb. Is it common sense mm-hmm. for people to look for that? Mm. Right? That people look for a resume and go like, well, look, I want to see a list of accomplishments, right? And I'm looking for somebody who goes, I lead people and they accomplish amazing things. Any questions? Right. Because, <laughs> right. Well, the rest of it is like all the details of all the stuff, right? But I didn't accomplish those things. They did. Yeah. Yeah. I even think that there was a buzzword a few years back behavioral based interviewing, right? To, to really, poke at what that certain person did, not what their team did, right? What they but did. What that's what that certain person did as part of that team. And it always seemed like they even said, well, look, look for the word I don't look for the word we when they talk about a team, like look for the word I what they specifically did. And I always wondered, is that really how it is in business, though? Well, how'd you do? I mean, of all the people you hired, and, and, and did you use those methods? And then what kind of results did you get? Or did you end up with some people you go, oh, that's not the right person? Or did you go, no, I got it pretty good? I got it pretty good. Yeah. I, w- I would have to say I didn't fall into the trap of like that it was all about I. Like I did this. Because one of the things I didn't want is I didn't want people who couldn't work on a team, who wanted to just be highlighted for their specific accomplishments. That, I wasn't really looking for those people. That's great. So, Deb, we're kind of at the end. What's our question for the end? What's our fun question at the end? Oh, man. I've been wondering about a person. Like, is there a person in your career, in your life, that had a big influence on you? Yeah, many. So, I'm guessing you wanted me to pick one, right, From for, for this year of the story, right? Yes. Because uh, I'm not going to go through a list of people. Interestingly enough, it was he had the same first name as I did. Not college educated, kind of started out in Caterpillar. His name was Ron Coates. And started out at Caterpillar and then moved into some RV maintenance sales stuff and then he became a millwright. And that's how I bumped into him. 
and he had he had a saying, and he taught it to because I not only did I work around Ron, I worked around a whole bunch of people who worked for Ron. So he had he had basically developed a lot of foremen, general foremen, actually craft labor supervisors like he was, and he had he had a story that to quote his words, you can tell whether somebody's worth a f or not by watching him walk, right? Hmm. Right, and, and like amazing. Right. I'm going like, that seems like magic, dude. Right. Like, I I don't think you were gifted with that one. And what I, what I learned from him was people have a way of being and you can see it in their walk. When you notice it, when you, when you set out to look at it, you can notice their walk and their way of being. And I, I, I brought him up to a job in around Chicago, Zion station. And it was, it was not going the best. Right. That's why I brought him up. I actually brought him out of retirement. His wife would say, Cheryl would say, you don't know how much you mean to him for him to come to Chicago in winter. He lived in Florida. And he walked around the deck one time. Just went out, walked around the deck. It's probably 100 yards, right? It took him about three hours to do it. And, and he came back in and he called the hall and said, I'm making this person your steward. And this, this is your GF and he's going home now. And this is who I'm going to make as a foreman. And they, they accepted it, Right. And it was amazing. But what I really, what I learned from the whole process, right? Because besides people thinking it's magic, right? Was there's a way of being, and that's what he was looking for. How do they treat people? How do they connect mm-hmm. with people? What kind of respect do they have? Where, where, all of that space. And what I noticed was the people who respected people were drawn to him and followed him and talked to him. And the people who didn't, like, he let them go. And not, he's not in our world. Uh, he's gone now, and I learned so much from watching him and the way he treated people with dignity and respect. And in a, in the trades union trades space, he stood out. And he's he's a, a short guy. I mean, gosh, I don't think he was five three, five four, but he was huge. I mean, and, and nobody passed up without knowing who he was or respecting him. Never saw him yell. Except for he had a never-ending list of ex- what do you call it? Ex- expletives? 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 Yeah. <laughs> to, de- to describe me, right? You mean Roy? The Roy Kent effect? He had that? <laughs> yeah. No. In fact, it was so funny when we were working that job up there, and a guy named Chad Noiser came into the office, and he's sitting there working on his computer, and he looks up at me, and he goes, "You know what Ron calls you?" And I gave him a whole list of them. And he goes, "Okay, I guess you know that." <laughs> And there's very few people in my life that I've been able to have that kind of an open space with. I could, we could just call each other whatever we wanted in a moment. And nobody took it as offensive in any way. In fact, in some ways, they were terms of endearment, right? Uh-huh. Right? It really was. And it, did, you know, it would make me cry if I showed up and called me those things today. That's who, that's who made a difference in my life. Deb, how about you? That's awesome. You know, I, I have so many on the list. Like, I, I mean, I was going back to like fifth grade, you know, teachers and, and I'm going to, I'm going to talk about someone more recently at, at my last company. So I was in the semiconductor space and we had a gentleman by the name of Carl Frank join our company. Now, Carl was a commander in the Coast Guard. Okay. So the big joke was we were chip builders with a C and he was a ship builder. <laughs> <laughs> and he came in as a COO of the company and the self that he is, 
caring, committed. He was like the glue for people there, the human side of the glue. Like we did great work, like absolutely awesome, like products that we made, but he was the glue that made us all like to work there. And so I think about that, about him, especially coming into something, we were talking about leaders changing roles, right? Like talk about changing a role from the Coast Guard to, to mm-hmm. running a semiconductor company. But when you're a good leader and you care about people, you can make that transition because it's fundamental. It'd be interesting to get his assessment of how different it was from working with people who drove boats. There's people who created chips because the fundamental is people. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you, Ron. Great conversation today. Great conversation, Deb. Thank you very much. And take care, everybody. Thanks, everyone. Thanks for listening to the podcast today. At Adlin Connection, we believe making authentic connections with others can literally change your world. We invite you to share this podcast with one person that you care about. Maybe it's someone you haven't spoken with in a really long time and you'd love to reconnect. Or maybe it's the first person that popped into your head when you listen to this podcast because you thought it would be perfect for them. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time.